Welcome to podcast 43. Yes, 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 maybe, but yes. Hello, welcome back to podcast 43 with another pair of films that we're going to talk about this week on the theme of remakes. Do you guys want to introduce the two films, Fulton and Cody? Uh, Sure. Yeah, cool. I'll do the uh, first one, I guess, real quick. Alfred Hitchcock's Dial in for Murder from 1954. Um, And just like a basic plot line, I'll say, is uh, it's about a husband, a wife, and the wife's mistress not mistress what do you call what's what's that word uh um lover, <laughs> lover. yes that's that's a way better <laughs> the, word the, thank yeah. you <laughs> i mean I, I i you know i've never thought about that i no, guess like male, her, male would, mistress is actually mister <laughs> for real that's not real no, no i looked it up way. Okay, well, well her it's, mister? A, <laughs> it's about a, a husband, <laughs> uh, a wife, and the wife's mister. Um, and basically, uh, it deals with the, the plot for the husband. Uh, he has a plot to kill his wife um, because he learns about this affair that she is having. It's basically the setup and the tension of that plot carried out throughout the whole film. And then we'll give more background information on it later. But Cody, I'll hand it over to you to introduce the remake. Sure. So, yeah, yeah. As you said, like Dial Him for Murder, huge classic now, Alfred Hitchcock. I mean, it's, you know, anyone who knows Hitchcock's going to know that. It's, it's amazing. This was remade in 1998 which is the year I was born, funny enough, with Michael Douglas, Gwyneth Paltrow, Viggo Mortensen, and director Andrew Davis for a film, A Perfect Murder. There's some slight differences that we're going to probably get into a little bit later in terms of setting. Some of the characters behave a little differently. The backstory is almost entirely different in this one. And uh, director Andrew Davis was pretty famous at this time for films like The Fugitive and Under Siege in the 90s. I mean, he was a pretty big director. Generally, like his films, usually pretty entertaining. And this is one that I think is a really fascinating an example of a remake on kind of what not to do. I'm, I'm very interested in what we all have to say here because it's one of those movies. You almost can't believe that the people behind it saw the original movie and this was their idea to somehow make it better. It's shocking in many ways, but it's a uh, it is it's not without entertainment. I'm excited to talk about it. I'm really excited to talk about Dial in for Murder, which is one of my favorite Hitchcock movies. And this one. Viggo Mortensen plays the Mr. Michael Douglas, the husband, and Gwyneth Paltrow, basically the same as the woman who comes from wealth. And it, it, it gets very, very interesting for sure. <laughs> I cannot get over the name that you call the Mr. I, I, the, that, that's actually probably an interesting way to, to kind of start this discussion because the Mr. in Dial in for Murder is so well written. That's played by uh, Robert Cummings, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mark and mm-hmm. he in Dial Him for Murder, he is the famous American crime writer who likes to write murder mysteries. And it's so clever how the screenplay like just uses that part of the character so cleverly throughout the movie and, and just so many winks to the audience about what's going on and what is a perfect murder and how to get away with murder and all of this um, that I think is completely missed <laughs> in the remake. Um, I don't know if you guys had any thoughts on the dial for murder, mister. Well, I think that I agree that it was it's a clever inclusion to have, to have him as this 
crime writer and it, he kind of uses that knowledge from writing the crime novels to decipher the murder mystery later on in the film when the plot kind of falls through and Ray Millen's character has to turn to other ways to get his wife's money. Uh, yes. I also find it interesting how in A Perfect Murder, it's just the, the character is kind of split into like two people almost um yeah <laughs> they yeah in the in the perfect murder they, they just take two characters from dial m for murder and they just make him one character what's so great about dial m for murder is that her lover mark is the one who's uncovering the conspiracy he and which is so yeah. great because he, this is what he does for a living of course he would be the one who could understand this but even and, better than the detective sometimes even better than yeah. the detective who, who who does you know is actually a pretty good detective in this one yeah it, it's just so shocking to me well, and, and he's, he, he's not bilingual though or we don't know if he's bilingual. <laughs> no he's not well he speaks british he speaks he's <laughs> a different, different dialect i was and, gonna and, say <laughs> i i just wanted to build off what you were saying right there cody i think that's kind of why and not to jump too far ahead of ourselves but when you're kind of talking about the i mean hitchcock is a master of you know suspense and tension and i think this film is a key example of him i kind of had an analogy he always talks about you know showing the audience a bomb to create suspense and then showing the time lapsing as the bomb is ticking the thing i find so interesting about dial him for murder is i think he's kind of crafting the bomb right in front of you and then letting you watch the bomb go off but with a perfect murder because of that key difference that you talk about with kind of vigo being a painter I think they do some interesting things with this character, but the differences between his character and Robert Cummings character and dial him for murder, it just creates like a complete lack of tension for me in the dot in a perfect murder. Like, I don't know. I, I was curious if like what y'all thought of the tension in a perfect murder. Yeah, also just the chemistry too, that uh, Vigo and Gwyneth has versus the original with uh, Grace Kelly, Grace Kelly and, and Grace Kelly. <laughs> And well, and Robert Cummings. I mean, you get the the sense in the original that they are lovers and that they look good together. They're very mm -hmm. passionate. It's not a very, I mean, the image is very sensual, but it's not a very explicit or gratuitous sequence that happens between the two. We, we know just from how Hitchcock frames this sequence that, you know, these are clearly two people in love. Whereas in a perfect murder, the first thing we see is just this. I mean, first of all, where Viggo Mortensen lives is this like horrible warehouse with like all this like bizarre concept art. It's and the RoboCop warehouse. And there's even a lot. Yeah, it's the RoboCop warehouse. Or the, it also reminded me of like the warehouse and the fly and stuff. Yeah. And like he, they own, there's even that line. I love this line that uh, Michael Douglas has eventually when he gets to the studio. And he's like, wow, there's nowhere to sit except the bed. And like that's, they, they make that very obvious from the get go that we're just going to watch these two people engage in intercourse very very for quite some time and it, not just once but a few times it's very unpleasant it, 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 I, I i'm so distracted in my opinion i would say the best word to describe a perfect murder compared to dial m for murder is maybe gauche it's very like <laughs> no it is though it, it's yeah. it, 
No, it's because it's it's just so it's like, you know, we have to turn it up to 11, but not in a good way. It, it lacks. It's just like, OK, we need Michael Douglas to be like a fucking psychopath, even more so than like how he's kind of more like reserved and, and intelligent in Dial M for Murder, his the same basically douglas's same exact mirror character played by ray milland it's like it can't just show any type of restraint and it's it's very strange for that reason it is just so so strange i think one thing that is really interesting about the first film is that it does show that the marriage between grace kelly and ray milan is is they they actually seem to like each other there actually is a genuine chemistry between the two of them whereas in a perfect murder right away there's a very menacing tone between the two. We know this relationship is on the rocks. It's very clear in the first film that the husband does not have a lot of money, that he is relying on her, that the incentive for murdering her is not so much that he is jealous, but that he fears if she left him, she would take all the money away for this American So he has to kill her in order to survive. And what is so interesting about the first film is who he gets to murder his wife. That there's an incredible sequence that happens um, pretty early on when the wife and her mister go to dinner in the theater. And Ray has his friend from college who doesn't really recognize him at first come to his apartment over a car that he heard uh, the gentleman was having for sale. And during the course of this conversation, just the sheer like exposition that they're able to get across is so masterful. I mean, it really highlights just how great I think Hitchcock was at just mise-en-scene in terms of where he's staging his actors, but also just the long take in this. It's such long takes and it's done so well. Also, I think that this is a pretty good time for me to bring up kind of Hitchcock's own words on this film, because I think it's pretty interesting how Hitchcock in in Hitchcock Truffaut, the series of interviews that Francois Truffaut conducted with Alfred Hitchcock about his entire filmography, when they came to Dial M for Murder, Hitchcock basically, he shrugs it off. He, he says, when Truffaut says, now we come to 1953, the year in which he made Dial M for Murder, and Hitchcock just says, there isn't very much we can say about that one, is there? And to summarize what he says, he just says that he just made it because it was a, an, an easy financial decision for him to just make something for Warner Brothers so he could basically fund anything else that he wanted to make. And he was just like, this was a really popular Broadway straight play. And I said, I'll shoot that. And and I just think it's it really is a testament to how he was able to shoot this in 36 days in, in, a, in a confined to mostly a single space and how he's able to make it so captivating and can just shrug it off as just, yeah. oh, I was just I, I wasn't even like really in my element. So, <laughs> well, maybe it was, you know, because this came was this one or two before rear window or this, am I mistaken? This or? was before rear window. Uh, Cause I mean, you could, you could almost consider it like prep work for him, you know, getting ready or not necessarily getting ready for that. But I mean, being in confined spaces oh, no and way. kind of doing stage plays. Yeah. Rear window. And this actually came out the same year. So. Same oh, year, okay. yeah. wow. wow what bad. a year he had. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting that you say though that you think like because I to me this one it reminds me the most of rope, which I think probably anyone you see. Oh yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. It's got that I very stagey that. Yeah. long shot. 
kind of a most of it does take place in the apartment um, mm-hmm. dialing for murder which just I mean it's just so amazing how much the viewer gets to understand the space of that apartment mm-hmm. over the course of the film yeah well I especially mean, in that discussion that he has is with Bree Millen has with uh, his college buddy that you were talking about um, because right, we keep Charles, going I think it's his name yeah I want to I want to just agree with you, Cody, on that one scene. I just I think it's so good because it immediately sets up the entire I mean, it's not a huge apartment, but it sets up the entire like apartment suite. But he keeps finding new and interesting ways to show you the same like walls and floors that you've seen. Yes. He just at the point where they start going over the murder plot, it does like kind of like a top down view. It's it's yeah. not completely top down. It's like an angle top down. But I love those sequences. It is outstanding. Just so, so excellent. And how it's all staged. I Yeah, you're you're so right. I, it's just even when it does switch the one other time or the other time other than when Ray Millen's character and uh, Robert Cummings character go to the dinner party or mm-hmm. go play cards or it's that that courtroom scene or the way that Hitchcock shoots the courtroom scene is is very very in a very very minimalist way where it's just a red background and then a very low angle shot of the judge and Grace Kelly just up against a red background and it's shot in a montage I think it tells so much more than like a normal court scene would. And I think that it's probably my favorite sequence in the whole entire. Oh, that, yeah, that is great. It's really I mean, good. Uh, I, you really can't overstate just how good the actors are too in Dial M for Murder. I mean, all the performance. And that's really why it's like when, we, when we're going to really dive into a perfect murder later, like why it's just so disappointing when you redo something like this with such talented actors and it's just read completely incorrectly. But it's just the chemistry that they have with each other, the understanding of the story and what each character needs to be in order to be believable is just so much more interesting than what anyone else does in the remake grace kelly is just oh my gosh she's so great in this movie i mean she's she's always amazing but she's just exceptional as the lead here so i mean i guess for those of i mean i'm, I'm assuming most listeners have heard or are familiar with the story but when charles is hiding in the apartment to kill her doesn't go as planned, and she ends up killing Charles in self-defense. Same thing happens in A Perfect Murder, although it's a little little different there. And the scene where Ray is on the phone with Grace after the, the murder takes place, which is actually in self-defense, and he comes back home and is comforting her, is so brilliant in just the sheer like terror and confusion that you see on Grace's face, which is matched so perfectly by just how nervous and concerned Ray is, not for his wife, but for the fact that he might be found out as having hired this person because of their former connection. And the way that we almost see it minute by minute in his brain, just like, this is how I'm going going to fix this this is how we're going to spin it and he it's so perfect i mean it's you really get the sense that this guy did have some sort of back like there is a just legitimate brilliance to that character that is completely lacking in the remake i mean my god when michael douglas has the same scene i was just like what are they thinking 
Okay, so so this is what happens. They call the police and the detective comes over to investigate the body that Gwyneth Paltrow has now killed that attempted to murder her. And Michael Douglas paid off Gwyneth Paltrow's mister, who was the artist. Viggo Mortensen. Viggo Mortensen. But it turned out to not be Viggo Mortensen. Right. It was somebody else. And he goes to investigate the body and there's footprints in the blood. And the detective is asking him these questions. And he's he's asking, why, why are there footprints in the blood near the pocket? it looks like you were doing something. And he said, I was checking to see if he was dead. And the detective goes, did you check his pulse? And he's like, no. He's like, well, I just wanted to see if he was dead. Like, why wouldn't you have a I backup? Don't, yeah, why wouldn't he just lie? <laughs> why wouldn't you just say lie and say yeah, that? I checked his pulse. And also it's so stupid in a perfect murder that he's going to hire his, his wife's lover to kill her for months. And, and this is why I just lost my mind in a perfect murder. Because the sum, the, the fee that he pays in the dial M for murder to his old college buddy to kill his wife is not a, a, a very big fee. I think it's like, what, like $1,000 or something? Yeah. 1,000 pounds, because it's set in London. Whereas in the updated version, it is $500,000. And it's just like the way that the, the scene goes down between Michael Douglas and Viggo Mortensen about how they're going to plan to kill the woman they're both supposedly in love with is so, so bad. Like, it just makes no sense to me that any person with, like, any common sense whatsoever would think this is a good idea. And it's like, this or I'm going to put you in jail. <laughs> right. And then it's like, and then I'm thinking like, and I'm like, they saw the original movie, right? They, they, they understand the story. Why don't they just stick to that? Like, why would you change it to be something this unbelievable and then get actors to perform it in this way and set it in this awful studio? I can't stress enough just how bad the interior of that studio is. I, I, I've seen it in nightmares at this point. It's such an upset. The more I think about A Perfect Murder, the more I'm just like, this is why remakes sometimes are such a horrible, horrible idea. I was going to say, I'm going to say a spoiler, but I don't think people really care about spoilers for A Perfect Murder because it does. it's not really tied to die, die on for murder. But just to continue with like how kind of absurd the story gets... Vigo wants the rest of his money. So Michael Douglas pays it. But instead of that being, you know, the ending of their relationship, Michael Douglas ends up killing Vigo Mortensen on a train. And I just thought that was so bizarre because how do you hide? How do you get away with that? Like for a man that wants to smartly evade the law at every moment, he just butchers this uh, Vigo Mortensen in a train. I I just don't understand. he wears like the, the butcher's uh, coat. Yeah. And it's like reminiscent of, you know, uh, well, I guess it wouldn't be reminiscent because American Psycho yeah. came out two years later, but it's a strange choice because where are you going to put that if you're murdering somebody on a train in a public setting? Yeah. You're just going to dispose of a bloody right. coat. Like, I don't. Why uh, would you? And it's just like. <sighs> And then it's even weirder when you get to like Vigo's plan, it, it, just like talking about the plot of a perfect murder is so complicated. It's so bizarre to me that they would make the Mr. Also the assassin, but that assassin would also not actually be the assassin, but is ultimately still trying to kill, you know, 
the woman because he's a bad guy. And then they had they introduced this Raquel character who is Gwyneth Paltrow's best friend, who is actually the one who figures out the conspiracy or at least implants the idea of conspiracy into her head that her husband might want to kill her because his company is probably going to go down because they're under investigation and they've been doing poorly. And so he needs money to survive, which is just like, again, this just gets so confusing to me. Because if she's going to leave her husband for the other guy, for Viggo Mortensen, then during the divorce settlement, surely Michael Douglas would get some of that money, right? And then- Because she didn't sign a prenup too. Because she didn't sign a prenup. But instead, he has to kill her- through the lover because he's the only one who can do it which which also is like for a man who's supposedly like a multimillionaire owns his own business very bougie business like surely he knows some hitmen who can do this job right like surely he's not gonna pick this incompetent man who also is recording the convert the more i just am recalling this story the more none of it makes any sense I, I know we sound a bit pedantic talking about the the minute details of this film and how it doesn't really make sense and i i don't want to turn into like cinema sins podcast you know where we're <laughs> like this does like you know film sometimes doesn't have to follow logic but i think it's a little different when you're emphasizing a murder plot as your as right as your framing the device. minute details are what makes a murder mystery and exactly. there's just no care for this and it just frustrates me so much especially when we talk about last week when we discussed four brothers and the sons of katie elder right a movie that understood the charm of the original and was able to like envision something that could improve upon the already successful elements here there is a great great like what what hitchcock presents is so successful that it's going to be already pretty hard to top it so what they decide to do is go entirely in the other direction and just I don't understand why they couldn't keep to some of the same basic elements, which Four Brothers did keep a lot of the same basic elements for the Sons of Katie Elder. Here it's just, okay, we're going to be, forget this whole, this all takes place in one location. We're going to be in tons of locations. We're going to be on a boat. We're going to be on a um, train. We're going to be in the his apartment. We're going to be in her apartment. We're going to be in the UN. We're going to be in the police station. We're going to be in the office. We're going to be in another office. We're going to be in the restaurant. We're going to be at our friend's house. We're going to be on the phone. It's so much bigger and it becomes so distracting. And the performances are so just, it's so odd to me how you can watch that original and understand the original, which I'm sure these are intelligent people who made this movie. These are talented people. Because The Fugitive is a good thriller. It's a great thriller. And like, they know, he he should know better to do than doing this. And the way that they just completely butcher the original is so infuriating to me. And it's just such a shame when you have something that already showed you, like, there's already the blueprint here. You, you're you already making it interesting by just setting this in New York instead of London. Okay, cool. I'm down with this. And then it's like, as the movie keeps going on, you're like, wait, what? This character is who? And they do what? And the decisions that they deviate from the original into the remake is just so... <sighs> 
they make it makes the plot a lot more messy instead of actually like to me adding to the tension but with a film like this to be fair like if if it were just more funny i would be honestly okay with it and it has its <laughs> funny moments Vigo um, is, is the funniest part of the movie well i i love uh i don't love michael douglas in this movie but i love the line where he's like you took the one good thing that a man can have it's like a he's like a, a, a I forget the oh man I'm butchering it but he, he's basically talking about having like a girlfriend and he's like you took that one thing away from me <laughs> and then he's like so I'm gonna have you kill my girlfriend so I'm gonna have you sorry. kill your or my wife it's just like he was like it's like you're sleeping with my wife now you have to kill my wife yeah it's, it's just so if there were more moments where I found it to be a funnier watch you know I'd probably be a little bit easier on it i think that that scene where michael douglas does kill vigo is kind of funny but not not to get too Did anyone topic. else think of the american friend when that happens <laughs> like <laughs> i was almost in that in that moment i was just like where are we what how did we even get on the train like mm-hmm. i'm i'm so confused i who's even riding a train anymore this is the 90s like can't he just get on a plane this was well, I I did want to um, propose a question to y'all because I know that, you know, Dial in for Murder was uh, shot in 3D, although I don't, it doesn't really utilize 3D in the way that you would traditionally think it would. I don't think, or I don't think Hitchcock was, I don't want to speak for him because I don't think he played with kind of 3D a lot with Dial in for Murder, but I was surprised that they didn't do anything with that for a perfect murder. I think that would have been oh, very I interesting. Know. That would have been very <laughs> a couple of moments that could have been pretty interesting in a perfect murder like the that. the knife going into v oh my gosh it's that's insane i do think though what i gotta give props to a perfect murder although i don't like the very ending i do think the final conclusion to when gwyneth paltrow finally understands everything that's happened because she hears the tape that she magically knows is in the safe with the gun, which, okay. But anyways, you got to forgive all that stuff. And when she confronts Michael Douglas, there's this just incredible, like, screaming match between the two of them. And while it is ridiculous, Michael Douglas does kind of come off pretty intimidating in that sequence. We've seen him try to intimidate Viggo Mortensen, and it's just kind of ridiculous because you're like, I'm trying to bully you into killing my wife. Like, okay, this is just something that wouldn't happen. But in that final moment before she ends up killing Michael Douglas, spoiler alert, I actually bought his sort of insane, like, this man is losing everything and has to kill his wife because he's just, like, lost his mind because money has corrupted him and all of this. Like, it was the only moment in that particular character where I was like, okay, I kind of see what he was trying to do. It does not work except for literally the scene before he dies. Okay. So it's kind of like, you know, Gordon Gecko, the later years. Yeah. <laughs> but not actually the sequel to Wall Street that came out after the 2008 recession. Money mean. Oh, wait, um, money, money never sleeps. Money never sleeps. <laughs> um, I was going to say money means business. I, but I agree. Like, I think that scene is quite effective until it, it's kind of all thrown away when 
Gwyneth Paltrow tells Michael Douglas her exact plan. And I just thought that was very confusing because <laughs> that, why would you tell somebody why that's would you that do crazy that? and that tried to I kill guess she, you? I guess she knows that there's the gun and like she's thinking ahead that, ah, it, that, that's a great point. I didn't think I was, I was that is just, <laughs> that, that, that's so much of this podcast is just us going, ah. Yeah. Because it is really just, because I, I, when What's weird is when you read the reviews for this movie and like audience reaction, they're, 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 they're mostly fine. They're not like amazing. It was so like lukewarm, lukewarm. Well, maybe they hadn't seen dial M. Right. <laughs> but like, to me, like dial M is such a classic. It's such a big movie. And the idea of remaking anything that successful is going to always immediately have me like pause and be like, well, what, what are they really going to do? But when you read the premise for this, it does sound promising. The actors are you know, obviously very talented, but this is just so, so horribly misguided. It's just so painful to even watch and think. It's been like four days since I've seen this movie and I can't stop. Like any moment that comes up in conversation where, where this film comes up or anything related to murder comes up, I just sigh. It's so bad. We as a culture have not collectively acknowledge just how awful a movie this is like this is really just a horrible horrible movie and it's not like a movie that gets interesting because it's a remake like when when i was watching dial m for murder and this film back to back it does make you appreciate dial m for murder more but in, honestly, it does make me also resent Dial M for Murder because it inspired someone to make this. Like someone saw Dial M for Murder and was like, what if we took this premise and just combined all these characters into one character? And then it's so disastrous. I just I, I'm still in shock. Cody, I knew you disliked it, but I, I didn't think you disliked it this much. <laughs> so well i think that following our new tradition of asking of polling the three of us about which film we preferred (laughs) the original or the remake i think i can say confidently that all three of us prefer alfred hitchcock's dial m for murder over andrew davis's a perfect murder (laughs) See, now, now we're one for one. We had one remake, and now we had now we've heard now the we have original. one original. That's true. Yeah. It's uh, it's getting uh, it's even out. I'm just still, I'm, I'm just over here shaking my head, just thinking about this again. This this podcast has raised my blood pressure tremendously. Just oh, well, maybe Cody. Then next week's episode of a remake that has quite a negative reception already. Maybe it will actually be better. Than a perfect murder. Should should we do predictions? Is that something we want to start doing? <laughs> that is actually. I, I think that's a great idea to, to predict because uh, I think Chris, do you want to announce what next week's films are? Yes, next week we will be traveling to the country of France and discussing the Cinema du Luc classic produced by Luc Besson, Taxi from 1998, directed by Gerard. And it's 2004 American remake directed by Tim Story, Taxi. <sighs> All those uh, Fantastic with- Four fans are fucking rioting right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, they're what? <laughs> uh, which stars Queen Latifah and Jimmy Fallon as a dynamic duo. 
that oh, have I, to. I cannot wait. I've I've seen just the poster for the remake looks so good. I'm I'm so excited. My my prediction is I'm probably going to enjoy both a good bit. Honestly, I, I'm honestly, feeling pretty optimistic. I'm pretty both. optimistic because I, I I know that the remake is like universally panned, but like <laughs> my I think but I think it's actually going to be more interesting to talk about than this film because they uh, they just really have not set up how bad a perfect murder is. If I knew just how awful it was going in, maybe I wouldn't have ranted so much on this podcast. But it's it's just un, unbearable bad but i can't wait i actually think yeah i'm making the bold prediction that i think i'm going to prefer the remake to the original that's what i'm that's why i haven't seen either film i actually don't even know the premise i just know the posters i like the remake poster better so i i'm gonna i'm gonna go with the remake i i remember being a young lad and watching movies that i would get on dvd from the library and this trailer for taxi the queen latifah jimmy fallon one it's like burned into my head and I've always wondered, what is Taxi? So I think that alone is going to make me enjoy the remake more than the original because it's been a constant in my head. Just Taxi, Taxi. I got to know what Taxi's like. So Yeah, I don't oh. It's going to make me want to get in a taxi. I think I might, I might. Well, you can't, well, if they've remade it now, they'd have to call it call Uber. It Uber. Um, oh. Excuse me. There is a remake. It's okay. called it's, Stuber. There right? we go, yeah. Cody. Yeah, there <laughs> we go. You know, I was at the world premiere from Stuber, right? You, you guys know this story? Yeah, yeah I was. What? Uh, yeah, it was, or was it, was it a, it was, I think it was called a test or a rough screening in South by Southwest. And I wasn't allowed to like review it technically. I think I still did, but it was, at like the the Paramount Theater there at South by Southwest and the hype was insane like people were really hyping this up both of the lead actors were there I mean it was it, it was, was a big deal yeah wow. both of them both of them were there and, and that's it was, our Patreon it, episode and, and that'll be our in our Patreon episode <laughs> next week we'll be on Stuber <laughs> God, I can't. I would have a perfect murder moment if I had to rewatch Stuber and be just ranting about how much I Yeah, hate no, that was. <laughs> well, all right. I guess until next time, thank you for joining us. And I hope you all have a great week and stay wavy. Stay safe. Keep on keeping on.